welcome everybody to our latest edition of Life Changing Conversations. And I've actually already had a couple of life changing conversations with our guest today, which is an interesting, fascinating, beautiful, and very deep person who runs her own podcast called Dating Diaries. She's a health coach, she's a registered nutritionist, and has a wealth of knowledge and information. And as I said, we've already had some fascinating conversations. It felt like we needed to record it. So here we are. And I'm not quite sure where this conversation is going to take us, but I can see it going in any number of different directions. So firstly, Jim, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, and yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Thank you, first of all. I'm really, really glad that we are recording this today. Because as you said, the conversations that we've had off recording have been so interesting and I've kind of gone away you know I'm a deep thinker so I've gone away from those conversations going oh my god like there's been some really insightful stuff that we've said in there um so yeah me where do I start I mean you've done the basics I'm a nutritionist a health coach but something that stuck in my mind is the conversation that we first had is that when you ask someone who they are they tell you what they do so they say oh my name is blah 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 and this is what I do rather than who are you as a person? So I guess as a person, I am a very spiritual being. I love spending time by myself. I love spending time with my friends. I love reading, writing, podcasting, chatting nonsense, and equally chatting some really deep stuff and, and things that are actually quite meaningful. Um, I really struggle with small talk. So if I'm with someone and it's the, how's your day been? I, I, I need a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably the basis of who I am. I love to make people laugh. I'm the comedian. I try to be the comedian in my friendship group um, because I feel like we need a little bit of love and laughter in our lives with the world around us is not always a nice place. So I try to make it as uh, happy as I can be while also trying to build internal happiness. Someone sent me a meme the other day. Let's talk about aliens, sex, magic, atoms, the secrets of the universe. Don't ask me what's up because I don't know how to answer that question. And I think that's very much been the conversation we've had. So, I, yeah, I totally on board with that, that I'd rather have enlightening conversations and really kind of stripping back the layers of reality and really getting a sense of what it all means in every aspect of our lives. And I think that we've got a really great opportunity to do that today, given that, you know, the, the conversation we've already had. And also, this is a really interesting time. It's quite literally feels like we're living through an episode of Black Mirror and probably the darkest episode of Black Mirror that's ever been made. I literally mm -hmm. think this writer is smoking crack because you couldn't make this story up. We had like the world <laughs> shut down for COVID for a couple of years. Then that ended in the day after World War Three or potential World War Three. And then we've got like, you know, what was that film, The Day After Tomorrow, where literally the world freezes over? Well, we had the reverse of that here, where it felt like we've got the Sahara in Britain and the, the, the earth is scorched. Mm. You normally only see on TV in Australia and California, droughts, cost of living crisis, energy crisis. It's like, you couldn't make it up. And it's like, normally you've got one or two dramatic things happening in any given moment. It's like, they're literally throwing the book at it right now. So yeah. it's a very weird time. And what I found is the more challenging it gets, the more people are actually checking out because you can't keep up with it anymore. So it's so challenging. People have just given up on it, really. And it's even more interesting we're having this conversation right now because there is so much information out there that is likely to make us feel 
disengaged, despondent, to give up hope, to mm. feel like the world is a shit show. But you and I both know that's not true because we've had conversations about this. If you base what you believe about the world and what you see on social media, what you see on mainstream media, what you see on the television, the news and the papers, you'd actually believe it's all war, death, destruction, disease mm. and illness. But that's not true. No. You know, we've all got great examples of, of people doing great things, of making the world a better place, of love, compassion and empathy. We just don't share them very much. We're just not good at sharing that information. And... That's why the campaign that we're running for, uh, for for the remainder of this year, which will run through International Suicide Awareness Day on the 10th of September, World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October, and Stress Awareness Week, is hashtag choose hope. People that have hope tend to have happier, healthier, more successful lives, do better in their careers, and be financially better off. Why? It's not some hippie woo-woo left field thing. It's if you've got hope, you're going to get off your ass and go to the gym. If you've got hope, you might push yourself a little bit further in your career. If you have no hope, you give up. Mm. And I'd like if it's okay with you, Jen, it's for us to use that as kind of the, the vehicle that we take our journey on today. Wherever our conversation takes us is to be able to, to, to look at the hope at the end of the tunnel, particularly as, you know, between us, we both face situations where there was every reason to lose hope mm. and how staying true to yourself and holding on to the hope, the light at the end of the tunnel helped us to navigate through that. So I just want to start with that. Jen, you're a very inspirational person. You've got you know, you've got some really powerful stories of how you kind of overcome your own challenges. What's your life-changing moment? What's the life-changing moment or conversation you had with yourself or someone else that literally changed the course of your life? Wow, that is, listening to that just in itself is inspirational. And it's, I think it's difficult to pinpoint just one thing because when, when it comes to hope, you know, a lot of people do lose hope. And I think this is a time in our lives where actually, the world and people are going through some really, really, really difficult periods in their lives. And it's easy to lose hope. But I and the, I would say one of the, the things that's kind of made me keep hope is my grandma. So my grandma's not with us anymore, but my grandma raised me and she was the most incredible woman I ever knew. And she taught me so many life lessons. But the one thing that will always stick in my mind that she used to say to me is that things will always get better. And honestly, there's never been a time where she hasn't been right because even when I've been at the lowest of my low, I've suffered with poor mental health, especially since COVID. Being locked up, I'm a sociable person, so actually being locked up inside was, was one of the worst things that, that I could have done. And um, it's interesting because I did, you know, the personality test and I'd done it like pre-COVID and post-COVID and I've become more introverted, would you believe, since going through COVID. And I was like, that's something I never would have seen because I thrive from being around people. But actually, now I love being by myself. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that when my grandma used to say things will always get better, that's something that I've always had in the back of my head. So when we were going through COVID, I was like, it's OK, like we will come out of this. We will come out of this stronger. You know, some people have, some people haven't. I like to think that I, I took the positive side of it and I thought, what can I do to benefit myself? Because I am a bit of a, I tend to think ahead. I like to stay in the present moment, but I like to think what would benefit future Gem and what is gonna make future Gem feel worse. If I sit indoors all day and I don't talk to anyone or I don't journal or I don't, you know, read a book or watch a film or do whatever is gonna soothe me, 
is that going to protect future gem or is that going to harm me? So it's, it, there, there's something here, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure what your, your grandma's expertise was around quantum physics, because actually what she's saying is absolutely true. And, and it's been proven now, uh, which is now recognized and called the universal law of impermanence. So according to physics, there is nothing in this known universe that is permanent. Even the universe itself is not permanent. This universe will die. This solar system, this galaxy, our sun, this planet, you and I, the past, the tree, everything will eventually mm. end. It's the law of impermanence. There is nothing that is permanent. And something else will follow. So you could be having the most tragic, challenging, traumatic day of your life. Exactly as your grandma said, it will end. A better yeah. day will follow. Equally, you could be having the most incredible, orgasmic, ecstatic day of your life. I'm sorry to break the bubble, but that too will end. Yeah. And a more challenging one will follow. We tend to, as human beings, get attached to things that are not permanent and then get upset when they go. Now, if we know everything's transient, it's just you look at that as like the passing of the seasons or the, the waxing and waning of the moon or, or the, 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 the ebb and flow of the tide. We shouldn't get upset when the tide goes out because we know it's going to come back eventually, right? Or when the sun sure. sets, it'll come back. Yeah, as humans, when things change and get more challenging, we get upset because we got attached to something that was never permanent in the first place. And exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, and life, life is not linear. Like, how do you know that you're experiencing the highs without experiencing the lows? So whenever I have an amazing day, I just cherish that for what it is because I'm like, I could wake up in the morning and feel like absolute rubbish or some, I could get some news tomorrow that could be potentially life-changing you know you you have to you have to learn to appreciate the highs and the lows because I feel like they both teach you something and actually when you're in your lowest point from what I've seen maybe with myself and with friends and family is you have to think about okay what, what can I do in those moments to try and help myself so like I have a little toolkit so I know when I'm having a really bad day what is it that's actually going to make me feel better? You know, for me, it's like getting out in nature, even just going for a 10 minute walk, trying to get to the park. Even if I don't want to, I will just force myself out the door for a short walk and try and make myself better. And most of the time it works. And when it doesn't, I say, okay, what else can I go to on that list? Maybe it's making a nice meal or maybe it's calling my friend and having a cry down the phone. We've all got different ways to soothe ourselves so that when we then, you know, start to feel better again, we go, this is what worked last time. This is what didn't. So I know when I feel like that again, that I'm going to try that again and vice versa. And I totally agree with that. But I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I also believe it's okay to allow ourselves to feel in that moment the expression of emotion. We, yeah. I know we live in a society where we're quick to try and suppress that and push it down. And I totally agree. Once you have expressed and you need to, to, to lift yourself again, to, to reach out and do the kind of things that you're talking about. Mm. But I also feel that we've got to the point in a society where, where it's not okay to not be okay, if, if that even makes yeah. sense. It's that we're always expected to be on form and happy and we've got our shit together. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to have days where that's not the case, where you're tired or you haven't slept well or there's something challenging happened or you've had some kind of traumatic life event. And, and actually, we need to get better at not being okay and not yeah. judging people if they're struggling. Because as we've said, that's where you are in the moment. If there's an emotion coming up, allow yourself to experience it. If you need to have a cry, exactly the same. 
Throw down the phone to a friend or express it yourself. If you're angry, scream into a pillow. You, you know, rather than suppressing the emotion which we've deemed to be bad, there are so many emotions which have been labeled incorrectly, like you know, anger and fear and sadness. If they come up, rather than suppressing them because they're not desired emotions, find a healthy way to express them. Yeah. And then obviously, as I said, like the things that you're talking about, once once you've done with the expression to lift yourself back up, like exactly as you said, like the walking and, you know, being yeah. mindful of what you eat, you know, who you spend your time around, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I, that... For yeah. Sorry, no, I was going to say, like, I totally, totally, totally agree with that. That is something that me and one of my best friends say all the time. Sit with that feeling. Sit with that feeling. I will never... If I'm upset, I wouldn't straight away go to a coping strategy. I would sit with that feeling first. And a lot of people totally agree with you. They just instantly try to suppress it. And actually, you try to suppress it. The more you suppress it, the more it's going it, to... Eventually, it will come out. You know, Whether it's in a week or in a year, you're bottling away all these emotions. And who knows what form they'll come out of in, in, in the future. You just never know. Well, this is interesting because it's exactly what we were speaking about off, off camera before we started is a study that was done by Carl Davies in, uh, and the book he, he's published called The Intelligent Body is that can come out as the illness, as physical illness, where people end up with quite serious illnesses because there was a suppression of emotion, which over mm. time is directly now being connected to physical Yes, because I saw a quote yesterday. It's weirdly enough, I think it was on LinkedIn and it was like, if you don't, if you don't make time for wellness, you will be forced to make time for illness. And I was like, what a great summary. There was another book called The Body Keeps Score. And you know, we know this again, you being a nutritionist, I think there's an aspect that we can discuss on this, which directly brings in your area of expertise is gut health is directly tied to mental health. You know, we know this to be true. We also know that people store a lot of their emotional shit as physical matter in their bodies. We also yeah. know that the gut is very much the second brain. We know that the gut health influences the immune system. And I think this is quite an interesting point because obviously we're now talking about people that are experiencing stress and trauma in their life and suppressing that. Now, I'd love to kind of bring in your expertise here in terms of sort of the direct connection here to uh, between gut health and mental health, gut health and emotional health, gut health and immune mm. system. It's first of all, I love this, this side of nutrition and mental health is my favorite because I feel like it ties them both so nicely together. And you would be so surprised, actually, probably wouldn't actually, in the field that you're in, how many people don't know about this link between the brain and the gut. And I, I did a webinar on this last year. And I was explaining to people about the communication from the brain to the gut and vice versa. And I was saying, actually, the communication from your, your brain to your gut is about 10%, whereas your gut to your brain is 90%. So the majority of the communication comes from your gut. And there is that bi-directional link of the gut-brain axis. And people don't understand actually how much. So that there's about as well, about 90% of serotonin is created in the gut as well. So it's it's fascinating. You think our happy hormone, the things that make us feel good, it all ties in. And it's it's about then how how do you kind of bridge that link? What can you do in your lifestyle to give you the best chances of feeling happy and healthy in yourself? And it's interesting because at some level, everybody knows this because when you're nervous, you get the butterflies in the tummy or when we're really stressed, you, you know, you might have digestive problems or mm -hmm. tummy or, 
or, or constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, there's direct connection between these. And at some level, everybody understands this, that you know when you're stressed, it's going yeah. to have an impact and you're, you, you know, one of the first places you'll feel in your gut. You know, someone said to me the other way, the other day, I'm really stressed, I feel like I've been punched in my gut. Even the language we use. Sure. Even though we use that language and it's commonly accepted language, people still struggle to make that connection. Yeah. And this, for me, I think is a fascinating one. Because this is just a really easy way to get your head around the fact that what you, you know, the mental, emotional stress you experience doesn't just sit in your head. It affects mm. every, you know, every function of your body from digestion to sexual function to higher brain yeah. function, immune system. And the immune system one is also a fascinating one because we had this two year period where everyone was petrified and we would be having messages on our television in the newspapers of, Everyone's going to die. We're all going to get COVID. Scaremongering at its finest, literally. My, my friend Laura wrote a book called The State of Fear, how it was used, uh, you know, behavioural psychology was used to put the population into a state of fear because that makes them compliant. They do what they're told. They wear their masks. Yeah. They set up, get vaccinated. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done those things, but manipulating people into fear to do those things had a secondary uh, uh, benefit, or not benefit, a secondary impact. And the secondary mm -hmm. impact scared their immune system suppressed that's not an opinion that's not a theory that's a biological fact when Absolutely. you're suppressing everybody that's listening will know when you're stressed you're more likely to get a cold or a flu yeah. the last thing you want to do when there's a global pandemic is scare the crap out of a population and then also getting to sit at home not go to the gym, not go on holiday, not go to work, not socialise, which again is compromising their well-being. You take away mm -hmm. all them, make them healthy, but then allow them to sit there watching Netflix, order Uber Eats, you know, buy alcohol and cigarettes from the supermarket and yeah. sit up themselves more sick. It, it doesn't make sense. And that's why I feel conversations like this are really important because everyone listening today seems to, well, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Rather than the you know the course that was taken, maybe we should have given giving away free fruits and vegetables and subsidising the you know mm. healthy treats and encouraging people to use outdoor gyms and things like that in a safe way, rather than taking away all the things that actually improve our well-being and you know allowing us to continue doing things that make us sick. How do we ensure that we are empowering and inspiring people with the right information, Gemma? Because we are not getting it from the mainstream. We're not. And it goes back to the first point that you made earlier about social media. Whatever we are reading in the newspaper or scrolling through on Instagram or watching on the news is feeding directly into our brain, which is why it's so important that you monitor what you read and what you watch. If you are following loads of different accounts so like for example at the beginning of covid i was following all like the politics pages because i was just quite like you know I'd, I'd like to keep up to date with what's going on and, and whatnot and after a while i was thinking okay i am watching the television and i'm watching bbc news and it's telling me this many people have died then i'm going onto my phone and it's telling me the same thing and i thought what a depressing life like i'm not even giving myself a break when i'm taking my phone to switch off it's actually making me feel just as anxious and just as stressed as watching the TV was. So monitoring what you're doing is so important in so many different aspects of life, but especially for your mental well-being. I only follow things that I know are going to bring me happiness. 
And if I see something which does pop up, you know, on Instagram, there's a million and one things that they do sponsored ads, you know, exit straight away. I don't want to see it. I want to see things that are going to bring me positivity and make me feel good because we spend so much time on our laptops and on our phones that actually we are living in this digital age. And in one aspect, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it because it feels like it's happened overnight in one way, but it hasn't. And it's happened so gradually that it's the norm. You couldn't, what could you do now with just pen and paper? You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get very far anymore. If you wanted to go into Tesco and get something, a lot of them aren't even accepting cash anymore. You've got to have your cards, you use your contactless. So you, you need all this like media and these connections around you all the time. So actually without thinking about how you can take them away, it's how can I monitor them to, to benefit me as best I can? This is the biggest gateway drug. Literally, 100%. How many bad decisions have we all made because we've had this in our hand? Things we've bought, things we've consumed, things that we've done, belief systems that have been set. I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, I love your Instagram, by the way. I did have a a cheeky little look. (laughs) It's dangerous, though, because every time I look at your Instagram, I get hungry and I want to eat something because there's so many. That's that's the aim, though. That's the aim. And it's so, oh my God, like literally I'm drooling at some of your pictures. Thank um, you. Pictures, you know, before that comes out, I was in the pro for it. But yeah, and, and, and I think that's what we need is more inspiring messages in our life because there is enough doom and gloom. And I think that's, that is a really important point is most of us are slaves to our technology, to our devices. Mm. For me, you know, it's not that the technology is inherently bad. It's just we don't have a healthy relationship with it. You know, we've, we've got an abusive relationship with our technology. Yeah. It's like, you know, have one cup of coffee a day, fine. Drinking 25, 30 cups of coffee a day, eventually it's going to get to a point where it's bad for you. Water, H2O, bit of agua, really good for you. You drink six or seven liters of that or more, and you wash all the salts out of your body and you will die. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Anything, even the greatest things in the world, if consumed in excess. With- yeah. You know, without res- res- responsible approach uh, and excess can, can obviously be damaging. And I think that's kind of the relationship many of us have got with our technology. It's unhealthy. Mm. And I think this is really where that in itself is, is, is programming you to think, act, behave and believe certain things about the world, which may or may not be true. We're not getting the full picture. It's interesting. You mentioned like during the COVID times, the, the, the round the clock counts we have for cases and deaths. When we look at the data now, for example, October 2020 in Japan, more people committed suicide in one month than died from COVID the whole year. It's terrible, isn't it? You never heard, uh, never had any mention of the suicide situation on mm. the news, but every day they were talking about COVID. So we're, we're not really talking about the real risks affecting society. We're talking about the risks. That we're happen. talking about what they want us to see, what they want Absolutely. us to see. Could you imagine a world where you could turn on the television and watch the news and it would be happy? news like that's never going to happen because the way that they make the viewers is not by happy news because in in a weird way it's like people want to see what's going on people are intrigued by the negativity they don't just want to see positive stuff all the time so it's it's how we we are influenced but also how we let ourselves be influenced I, I totally agree. And I remember when I was a little kid and I used to, my, I used to watch the news with my dad and the last news story it always finished with a positive story like cat was stuck up a tree in a farm and rescued it or something silly but it would always finish with a positive story they stopped doing yeah. that and it's yeah. more of that in our lives and i think that is one of the biggest challenges that we have to creating 
you know, positive approaches in our lives of being able to reach out with love and compassion and to be able to overcome those unhealthy habits and the, the, the challenge that we face to be able to live the lives that we truly deserve to live. For so, sure. question I have for you, Jem, with your wealth of knowledge and expertise is what would you say is the most difficult part of creating healthy habits in your life and how can we overcome that? Good question. Well, this goes back to individual approach because creating healthy habits is something that we can all do, we're all capable of, but it's learning about how. How, how, do, we, how do we find the habits that are gonna be most beneficial for us? And it goes all the way back to your values. You have to learn about what it is that you value because our values are at the core of us. If we're not creating habits that are in sync with our values, we're not going to create long lasting sustainable habits because they're not actually aligning with who we are and what makes us feel good. So, for example, you know, speaking about stress, someone will come to me and go, oh, I'm so stressed. I feel so stressed. And I'll say, okay, like I'm not going to go in straight away and give you a solution. I want to find out about you. I want to know who you are. What, what is it that's going on in your life that's making you feel stressed? Because once you start to scale it back and you find out about that person specifically, it might be the micro stresses in their life that are causing them stress. People think that stress is just this, you know, these big life changing events. It's not. It's from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, we all have that personal threshold, right? So if, right, if we think of a micro stressor, for example, okay, you've woken up, you've not taken a few minutes for yourself, you've looked straight at your phone, you've seen an email that was meant to be responded to half an hour before, but because you were snoozing your alarm, another micro stressor, you've woken up and you've already gone through three, four, five micro stressors before you, you've even got out of bed. Hmm. And then by the end of the day, you're going, oh, and it's again, it's like piling up, piling up. And then does that person suppress their stress? How do they how do they end up uh, relaxing? They might get to a Friday night and go, can't wait to go to the pub and relax. We know alcohol is a depressant. It's going to make the person feel worse. So actually, that's one of the problems with creating healthy habits is that people don't understand their values and they don't know how to prioritize themselves. So they prioritize what other people want and they prioritize maybe, you know, if they've got children, they have they they kind of have to come first in a way. So people end up putting themselves on the back burner. And in the, in the long run, it has an impact on, on their lives. So my approach is always to look at what can you change that's really tiny and really sustainable, you know, to the point of being like, if someone's going, you know, I'm feeling stressed, we know the benefits of exercising on, on, benefit, on uh, mental and physical health. Someone might go, well, I don't have time to exercise all day. And I'll say, okay, have you heard of something called exercise snacking? You know, exercise snacking you can do while you're in the office. If you're boiling the kettle, do five squats while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Do five wall push-ups. Something that's so small that you're already you're already doing the other habit that actually you can habit stack and create another habit while you're doing that habit. So people will always make excuses when they do have time. It's just about are they prioritizing that time for themselves? This is interesting. I want to touch on this whole prioritizing thing because we we in our office. I'm just looking out now. Yeah. Supposed to be, we, we don't call it an exercise snack. I'm, I'm going to borrow that. I'll probably <laughs> but we bought this little sort of trampoline for people to bounce on. There's a pool table, there's a meditation room. So there's all kinds of things that we encourage people to do. I'm looking at the trampoline now, 
Ashling's got her feet up on it and using it as a footrest. Emily used to sit on that desk before. And it's like, it collects dust. And I think this is the thing, is the knowing and the doing are two totally different things. Yeah. You know, if you ask people how many hours of sleep you should have, everyone knows the answer, seven or eight. How much water you should drink? Two litres, even though that's not technically true. How many steps should you walk? 10,000. Everybody knows how to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you introduce that in a workshop or a seminar. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Those are the three most dangerous words in the language. I know that. I know that. I know because that. <laughs> it's so true. No. Like, a question for me always, if someone says I know that, is do you do it? Because otherwise, yeah. if you don't do it and you know it, that's madness. You yeah. know, it's you zero benefit in your life knowing stuff. You have to actually, you have to drink the two damn litres of water a day. You have to actually walk the 10,000 steps. You have to get the seven or eight hours of sleep to get the benefit, not just yeah. know it up here. And that's where I need your help, Gem. I okay. Have a, I have nailed my morning routine. It's okay. Literally, I've been working on it for the last 10 years. It's spot on. I have a problem, though. I, may I talk you through my morning routine? So of morning course routine, you can. So I get up. Uh, I spend a bit of time doing some stretching even before I get out of bed. And I do a little bit of breath work, maybe some meditation, spend a bit of time journaling. And then uh, drink my hot water with lemon um go take the dog for a walk come back um do a bit of yoga then morning workout then a bit of dry brushing and then um some hot cold treatment you know go in the sauna i shower alternate with that for a while come back do a little bit more meditation maybe journal a little bit more but the problem now it's now six o'clock in the evening <laughs> <laughs> really working out for yeah me. Please help. <laughs> I was going to say, my God, that is a busy morning routine. <laughs> yes, it's not really working out in terms of my work responsibilities because I'm then having to stay up till three o'clock in the morning to actually get my work done. Yeah. Because I know what to do. There's just not enough hours in the day when it comes to prioritizing the things that really bring us benefit. And the more I learn, the more I need to squeeze into my morning routine and my daily activities. It's actually now getting to the point we have too many things. Help. Mm. Help. Oh, that's an interesting one because on, on the surface of what you've just said, your morning routine sounds great. Like very, very <laughs> relaxing. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but it's the irony of you've got this like great routine where you're meditating and you're journaling and, you know, you're stretching everything that should bring you less stress. But actually, if you're working to two, two or three in the morning, is that is that going to bring you, you know, would that bring you like long term? I was exaggerating a little bit. It's not quite till six o'clock in the evening. But if I actually did my full morning routine, it would take three or four hours. Like literally. Okay. Well, scale, scale it back. Scale it back. Do you need to be doing a morning routine for that long? Like, what is it that goes? What is your priority? What do you want to do? What is realistic for you to do even on your worst day? And that, I think, is a question that is not just good for me. I think for all of us, what do we prioritize? Because there's so much information. Many of us are under information mm. overload, and we go into inaction. We go into the point where it's like, oh, my God, there's so much information. I don't know what to do. So you do nothing. Yeah. And there's been times where I, I know what my morning routine should look like, but there's a lot of times. Today was a good example. I was running a retreat this weekend. Um, you know, yesterday I had some time to rest. I got up today, and I was supposed to my morning routine, and I woke up at 7 o'clock as opposed to 530 and, it's like, I went for the walk with my dog, because I have to do that, otherwise it would take mm. shit on the floor. So that's kind of, it's <laughs> but the 
the rest of it, it was kind of like, you know, I had a bit of time. I meditate when I got to work, but mm. I didn't really follow my routine. How do we prioritize when there are so many things that need to be done, when we live in a world where there's so many things pulling our attention and also so many people telling us what we should do? Mm. Help me and anyone else listening today to get to the point where we understand how best to prioritize the demands that be made of us mm. and the things that we need to do to maximize our well-being. You've made a really good point there. You said, I didn't stick to my routine. That's fine. It's fine if you don't stick to your routine. I think people, as and you and anyone else that's listening to this that has the same issue, you need to take the pressure off yourself. If you slept in till seven, that's fine. You know, maybe your body needed the extra rest. Maybe you didn't do all of your journaling, et cetera, et cetera. But that's okay. You don't need to do that every day. And I think it's it's learning how to have a flexible approach with your habits. You know, so maybe one day you want to wake up and you want to meditate. The next morning you want to wake up and you want to journal. You don't have to do all of those in one day to reap the benefits. And that, that's an interesting point because many of us put ourselves under so much pressure that you miss one thing and then the whole program gets derailed. Yeah. You know, a person that's on some kind of diet program, they're not supposed to be eating refined sugar. They have that cream cake and before you know it, they're having a fry up, bacon sandwich and... and yeah. You, like a half a cheesecake and a can of coke. It's because it's because it's, it's it's the black or white thinking, isn't it? It's all or nothing thinking. You go, oh well, I've had this now. I may as well have the rest of it. And it's learning that middle that middle ground. I like to call it rainbow thinking. You know, having the flexible approach, like the rainbow thinking, where everything you know you can you can make your habits as flexible as you want them to be. So yeah, okay, someone might have had a cheesecake and a packet of crisps and this. That's fine. You know, that's where I would then encourage them to enjoy them mindfully, you know, paying attention to your senses. What's your food tasting like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like in your hand? Because doing things like that, when you are choosing, you know, maybe to have less nutritious foods, it's gonna impact your satisfaction levels, help with portion control. And over time, you're gonna start to take that, that guilt away from yourself and go, do you know what, actually I really enjoyed that, but let's leave it there. Because people are too, too all or nothing thinking a lot of the time. And that's where it can go wrong. No, I totally agree. And I, I, I feel that I can very much be like that. I'm very much all or nothing. I either put everything into what I do or I just don't bother, um, which is great in some respects because it's led me to some incredible accomplishments. But also mm -hmm. in other respects, it's not so great because there are things where I should have probably called time. You know, we will probably get to talk a little bit about this in one of your other projects like Dating Diaries. Is, is where you kind of invest in something where you can kind of see the, the, the writing on the wall, but you don't want to give up, so you keep persevering. But there were other things like sports activities, like, you know, triathlons and Ironman, where I was injured halfway through, mm. but I wasn't going home without my medal after training for a year. So that resilience <laughs> got me through. You know, they weren't telling me at the time, you probably should stop. You might do some time and damage, mm. but it's like, no, single-minded focus, I'm going to stay the course. But I think part of this is tied into our values and why our values are so important in ensuring that we do stay true to what is important to us. Now, and you know, I'm going to share something which is personal to me. I'm not in any way suggesting anyone should, uh, you know, follow my path in life. But I had an experience which really brought my values into question. And there, 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 there was a really strong message about congruence for me. And the message was, and it happened to be, uh, I was on a, a shamanic retreat many, many years ago. And this was kind of point of realization about my thoughts and actions, my beliefs about myself and the way I live my life. And I'm only sharing my story as a way to kind of illustrate this. But for, 
for many of you listening, I'm not necessarily suggesting you follow the content, more the context of this story. The story I had, which I was telling myself for my whole life, was I love animals, right? Um, not just I love animals. I'd run marathons and triathlons to raise money for tiger conservation, for snow leopards, etc. And I had this experience where I had to kind of really face that, that story in a very powerful and visceral way, which brought me to the point of realization that I wasn't really living authentic to that um, in the sense that I loved certain animals, you know, the, 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 the fluffy ones like the lions and tigers and elephants, but there were actually some animals that I didn't really care so much about, like cows and sheep and pigs and stuff. And essentially it was kind of a point of making a decision of living in congruence, which is either change the story to match the actions to stop saying a story which I wasn't living true to, or change the actions to match the story, if that makes sense. And this is true in any setting. It could be in a relationship or work context. It could be to do with some of the, the, the ways that you live your life on a daily basis. What is your story? Like if my story is, I'm a healthy person that looks after my body, yet every day your actions don't marry up to that. What happens after a while? You stop trusting yourself. You stop believing yourself. I didn't, you know, in that moment, I made a decision to go vegan. I didn't have to make that decision. I could have just changed the story and continued living the life the way I wanted to. But the story I was holding was very important to me because that was part of my deepest value system. And I think particularly in the health domain, you know, again, just for the record, I'm not suggesting or encouraging anyone to go vegan. I encourage everyone to do what is right for them. This is just my story. But for you, why is value so important and why do they play such a strong role in prioritizing the actions we take that bring us vitality, health, well-being? Because a lot of people aren't living true to our own values and that kind of, that point where you don't trust yourself, you're, you, you, you can't rely on yourself because you're letting yourself down every day by living out of congruence of your truth. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm just digesting all of that because I actually think that that's, that's super interesting. It's a really, yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, especially around values. And I guess it's just, it's just a weird thing when it comes to values because a lot of us don't actually take the time to get to know ourselves. And it, with what you said about like telling ourselves a story, the narrative that we tell ourselves is gonna have an impact on our behavior, our actions, therefore is gonna create a specific kind of life for us. So you know where, you know, your the narrative that you might tell yourself when you go into this like all or nothing mindset, you know, I have to do this, this is me, like I value being determined. Like that's that's so you kind of go, you go with that, where it, and that's absolutely fine. But you know, some another person might go, I'm not capable of that, I could never do that, that's not me. So they would never put themselves forward for an opportunity that could actually be the best thing that would ever happen to them because they've told and sold themselves this story that potentially they're not good enough. They don't deserve to have that opportunity. And so many people do that. People that I work with every day, like as a health coach, you know, I, I see some incredible transformations when they actually start to look at the mind because People don't understand that in order to change anything in your life, you need to understand your mind and how, number one, your mind works, what's, what's encouraged you to feel like that, and 
is your mindset right now and the frame of mind you're in the most beneficial frame of mind that you could be in? Is it helping you to achieve what you want to achieve in life? Or are you just, you know, going along for the ride and seeing what happens, but not actually bringing yourself any happiness? And that's interesting, even this concept of mind. Um, have you ever read uh, Michael Singer's book, Untethered Soul? No, I haven't. Yeah, you put it on your reading list, because based on this conversation, it's a fascinating one. And also for anyone listening, I heavily encourage you to read it. One of the big questions it poses is, who am I? And it's interesting, because we kind of start with that. You ask someone, who, who are you? And they'll tell you what they do. And, you know, you run a podcast called Dating Diaries, a health coach, and nutritionist, etc. You aren't those things. And then you might go into deeper into your, your attitude, your belief systems, your values. You are not mm. those things either. Then a deeper level, you might go into your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. You aren't those either. You are the consciousness that observes your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. You are the consciousness that experiences the activities, situations, and daily sort of experiences of life. And being able to step back and being in that place of observer really helps you to get to know yourself from a very different perspective. And it's not often we have the chance to do that unless you do spend time in meditative practice every day or you're able yeah. to retreat to be in nature for extended periods of time. But it goes back to, to, to exactly what we're talking about here. Most people don't know who they are. They know the stories they've created about themselves. And we create these stories as we navigate life through childhood, through our parents, through relationships, through career, through society, through you know, all of the things that we go through. And every time you go through an experience in life, you develop a character and a story to be able to navigate that. And after a while, you've been living these characters so long, you actually forget that underneath all of that, was the, 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 the little gem and the little Neil that uh, uh, sadly over time got put in a box and the box had a padlock put on it. Then it was put in a trunk and the trunk was chained up and then it was put under the stairs and that door was locked and then we concreted over it and you forgot the poor little kid and not just you and I, this is mm. true for of us. And for many of us, unless we've done this work to really connect to a deeper truth about ourselves, we forget. And every day we're living our life from these stories, from these characters that may or may not serve us anymore, which is why people end up with the same relationship with different people or the same toxic job in different companies because yeah. the denominator is they are still there. Yeah, that's it. And what is that saying? Um, it's like when you repeat something over and over again, it's a definition of insanity. And so, so many people do it. They'll go, it's the same thing as diets. How many diets have so many people tried throughout their lives hoping for the same outcome each time, even though they know that actually it, it might help them lose weight in the short term, but in the long term, it's not going to work. So it's it's understanding yourself, but it, it's so easy to say it now. I'm trying to understand yourself is hard. It's really, really hard. And I something that I love doing is journaling and I swear by it myself. I have been journaling on and off since I was probably about 10 and more so now actually since COVID I have I have journaled pretty much every day because I think I was forced to because when we went back into when we went into the lockdown I had all these emotions and we talk about the suppressing and I am one of those people that I don't want to suppress my emotions I want to kind of get it down and when you said like you know coming back trying to understand and the underpinnings of what is going on in your mind journaling can be an excellent way to help you understand those thoughts and feelings and be an observer because you can write down how you're feeling and what's happened in your day you know the big life events the little life events and just generally how you've woken up feeling 
But if you go back and you read what you've written, not only could you surprise yourself, but you could also see a solution and you could say, all right, so for example, you think a relationship, someone didn't treat you right, you know, they might not have been kind to you or they just might not have been a good person. But instead of keep going back to the same relationships over and over again, by understanding what it is that you wanted from that person and why you were treating yourself like that and actually do you deserve that, you then start to underpin and go, actually, no. So then you can start noticing those things in a future instance and it applies to every aspect in life. You try an exercise routine, it didn't work. All right, okay, find something else to do. You've, you started eating these healthy foods that you didn't enjoy, that's fine. There's so many foods out there, try and find something that you enjoy and find a pattern that is going to be realistic and sustainable for you. I mean, no, it's an interesting thought because many people learn how to develop, develop unhealthy habits. For example, I was talking to someone about this the other day. You know, anyone that's ever smoked a cigarette, and most people have tried a cigarette at some point in their life, the first time you take a drag of a cigarette is the most disgusting thing in the world. You're literally coughing and spluttering. You put smoke into your body. It's awful. And... You know, some people have got rose-tinted glasses on. They remember that first drag of cigarette being delicious. And it's it's not. I defy anyone to take a drag of cigarette first time and enjoy it. But you keep doing it, and then you convince yourself you enjoyed it. It's the same with alcohol. The first sip of alcohol, and I, I used to drink a lot, so I love alcohol. I still love the taste of alcohol. Mm. I can't drink anymore because it just brings me down. Um, but, you know, if I find a great non-alcoholic beer or, you know, non-alcoholic uh, gin alternative or something, it's great. But that first sip of alcohol when you're a kid, it's not a pleasant thing because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a poison, right? Your body will reject it. After a while, you drink enough of it and you convince yourself you enjoy it. We've done this with so many unhealthy habits like our phones, like technology, like social media. And we've convinced ourselves this is great and it's uplifting us. But we've also done the reverse. Things that actually at first glance or at first bite or at first taste are healthy things and actually make us feel good, we've convinced ourselves we don't enjoy them. Like being out in nature without your technology with you, actually being sat in front of someone, just being present with them and talking to them without reaching for our devices, like um, you know, eating healthy, nutritious food. You know, After a while, if you do that, you start to really crave healthy, nutritious food. And the thought yeah. of health in your body makes you want to throw up. And I think this, <laughs> it's true. This, this, this is the challenge because it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like I can make a decision mm. healthily, start eating healthy, living, uh, healthy food, living healthily, and for, for me to enjoy that. So how can people keep themselves motivated so they can keep on track till they've developed new behavior patterns, till they've started to enjoy their new routines? Because it does take a, an assimilation period. It doesn't happen straight away. Mm. I think the thing that people need to understand, first of all, is that motivation comes in ebbs and flows. You know, sometimes it will be really high. Sometimes it will be really low. It doesn't matter how much you love doing something. There will be days when you can't be bothered to do it. And that is just a part of life. And having low motivation is completely normal, which is why I like to think of the 1% rule. And the 1%, I don't know if you've heard of James Clear but he's the author of Atomic Habits. And it's yeah. one of my favorite books because it was like each page I turned, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. Like everything just resonated. And I thought, Do you know what this is? He's got some like great life lessons in here. But the one thing that stuck with me the most is the 1% rule. And that's that when you make a 1% change each day, overall, you're making a 37% change for the year. 
So while that 1% at the time, you might go, and some, some of my clients say this to me because I'll, I'll say it to them, like when we talk about creating tiny habits, I'll say, well, what 1% change could you make today? And then they'll challenge me and they'll go, well, what difference is 1% going to make? And I said, well, if you add up all those 1% and you keep making those changes, for example, you were going back earlier saying that um, we should be drinking two litres of water a day. I've got some clients who will have one sip of water a day. They're not used to drinking. So if you go, okay, you're going from drinking one sip of water to two litres, that's not realistic. They're not going to do that. There's no way in hell they're going to do that. So I'll say with the 1% rule, what you could try is, you know, aiming for one glass of water each day. That could be your 1%. And then once they've nailed that 1%, they can start building on it. Because once you've shown up for your habit, you're already creating a habit without even realizing it, no matter how small it is. And the thing is with our brain is that our brain loves a celebration. And there's another author called BJ Fogg, and he's the author of Tiny Habits. And he, he did a TED talk a while back and he was talking about like celebrating your habits, like no matter how small they are, because your brain loves it and your brain remembers that, that anytime you make a small change, you know, if you wanna go exercising, but you can't be bothered, your motivation's low one day, put your trainers on, you know, just put your trainers on. How much effort is it gonna take to put your trainers on? And once you've got your trainers on, you're then more likely to want to step out of the house, right? So it's almost like those, those little assimilations of, of habits lead to big habits in the end so you don't want to tell people you've got to do two times 20 minute workouts each week you have to drink two liters of water you need to get nine hours sleep because actually it's just not realistic for a lot of people and you need to build those habits slowly in order to help them create those long-lasting changes but yeah i think the biggest thing i would take away from that is that creating tiny tiny changes if you're consistent with them over time will lead to big results I love that. So, Jim. Yes. You are being invited to a dinner party. It's a very exclusive dinner party. Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's obviously because you're a friend of mine. I've been able to get you onto the guest list. And at this dinner party is Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Jesus, Muhammad Ali, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. Um, you, you know, they're, they're all there, A-listers when it comes to inspiration and making the world a better place. And they do uh, a round of what's called speed inspiration. So everyone's kind of going around the table and they're offering their golden nuggets of wisdom. Now you've got, you've got a seat at the top table with you know the, the, the kings and queens of philosophy. What are you gonna say when it comes to you in your moment of speed inspiration? Wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Handle it. Oh. That's, do you know what? I want to make it a really good one because there's so many, there's so many things that I could say here, but actually what's going to have the most impact. And I think it's, I'm going to have to go back and just say, find one thing that makes you happy and focus on implementing that into your routine. Just one thing, just one thing, because we live in that society where not everyone knows what makes them happy. Find just one one thing that makes you feel happy and try and implement it into your routine. You just silence the crowd. They're all in awe of you. Stand <laughs> from the A-listers. Well done. 
I could talk to you all evening. I was just realised we've been going for an hour already, and I haven't even have got- we? Oh my god, the time's gone quickly. I haven't even warmed up, but we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, still- sure. Where can people find out more about you? And also, just give us a quick run through of the things you do. So, just give give us a quick insight into what Dating Diaries is, because I've been listening to it and I love it. It's so funny, it's so real. You're so vulnerable and authentic. It literally, there was moments where I was like wanting to cry with you. There's moments I was laughing with you. There's it was, it's, it's fantastic. Do you want to listen a little bit about Dating Diaries? So, Dating Diaries is essentially a passion project. My background for many, many, many years is in psychology. Before years before I entered the world of nutrition I even did my dissertation on male infidelity like that is how deeply invested I am into love sex dating relationships there's just something about it that you know gets me in my feels and the dating diaries is a psychology based podcast that helps people to understand how to create long-lasting happy relationships you know whether that be through building communication with their partner building trust understanding their own values understanding what they want from someone else you know how to manage a breakup how to learn to love themselves we're we, we cover me and my guests like I've had some amazing guests on this season I'm prepping for the second season at the moment and I just want to make it as inclusive as possible. And that's what I try to do. I take on all my feedback from my listeners, but the dating diaries at the very core is a very honest, a very real account of me as a person. You can, weirdly enough, I find it weird sometimes that people can actually get to know me quite well just from listening to the podcast because I've really put myself out there. And that's something that I think shows a lot of vulnerability. And I want to teach people, people that are listening to that, it's okay to be vulnerable because being your true authentic self will get you to where you want to be. I totally agree. Vulnerability for far too long has been seen as a weakness. And mm. actually, superpower, people that show themselves yeah. are the, the, the strong ones because they are comfortable to show themselves. And you know, I, I have so much respect for you for being willing to do that. I'd, I'd like to think that I, I, I also am willing to make myself vulnerable, but that in itself has inspired others to want to reach out and share their stories. And I think mm. it takes people like us to be able to share our stories and show ourselves fully to encourage other people to show the truth of who they are and step out of the roles and characters they've developed to be able to navigate life. So yeah, massive props to you for for doing that. And and, and what else? Obviously there's the health coaching stuff. Where can people find out more about what you do there? How can they connect with you? Yeah. So I do have, so my Instagram page is mainly where I, you know, I post my recipes, I post motivational quotes, all of that kind of jazz. And that is um, at Gemma, I think it's Gemma underscore Joel underscore nutrition. If you just type in Gemma Joel, it should come up. Um, and on there, that's that's pretty much like me day to day. So I love that stuff. You know, I love cooking. Cooking is another thing that self-soothes me. I work as a health coach for, uh, for a company called Second Nature. So I work with many different clients, um, primarily those that have got type two diabetes, who are at risk of becoming diabetic, or who want to improve their healthy habits for the long term. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell, I would say. Uh, we'll make sure we put some of the links to your various different channels so people can connect with you directly should they wish to. Thank you. Um, and may I ask you to make a promise to us that you're going to come back and we're going to do another one of these because we haven't even got started. 100%. About. Um, 100%. And, yeah, it was so much fun. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I always love talking to you and I'm looking forward to the next one already. Oh, thank you so much, Neil. No, I've really enjoyed this. It's gone quickly. Always goes so quickly when we have these conversations. Much quicker (laughs) than I thought it would.
awkward and you know I think the first time we spoke we were probably on the phone for a couple of hours or at least it felt yeah. like it. and hopefully whoever's listening to this will be able to get you know at least one or two little nuggets of wisdom or things that they can take and implement into their own routine because like I said just make just find one thing one thing that makes you feel happy you know it could be anything anything in your life go back to your values what is it that makes you feel good so I'm going to leave that with the last question to you Gemma what makes you happy what makes me happy? Right now, food's going to make me happy. <laughs> I'm with we'll you go on with that. Food. We'll go with food. We'll go with food. Yeah, 100% food. Fantastic. All right, well, listen, you have yourself a beautiful evening and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Take care, Neil.